0: Hi, friends. Welcome to the Gritty and Curious podcast. I'm your host, Austin Schlesinger, the co-founder of Gritty and Curious, where we are in a mission to give creators the network, knowledge, and opportunities to build their next venture. So let's break that down. We give you the network where you can engage with like-minded content creators. We give you the knowledge we learn from and discuss valuable books, articles, courses, and podcasts that might help you out in your content creation journey. And number three, we give you the opportunities to expose yourself to content collaborations and expert content creators. If you're interested in joining, shoot me a message on LinkedIn or Twitter. My profiles will be posted in the show notes, so definitely check that out. My guest today is the gritty and curious Mike Martucci. Mike Martochi is the CEO and founder of Swag Up. I've known Mike for quite a while. We went to the same high school, St. John Vianney, go Lancers. We played golf together my freshman year. He was really good. He would always kick my butt and I've always been envious of his drive and his journey and what he's done with Swag Up and his entire experience dropping out of college and starting his own business and investing himself and growing his company. And it's, he just has a very, very awesome journey and I can't wait to share it with you all. But anyway, we talk about how he grew his business to generate eight figures in sales in 36 months. 36 months, from zero to eight figures in sales. It's an incredible journey. We talk about his journey bootstrapping, swag up from the ground up, his struggles that he encountered along the way, the advice he would give to a motivated college student or high school student with a great idea, the most effective way to learn anything, how to come up with the next big idea like Uber, DoorDash, etc., how to find great partners when you're going into business together, the biggest mistake young entrepreneurs make, and specifically what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur. So it was a very interesting conversation, and I can't wait to share it with you all. So let's get right into it. When did you first become interested in entrepreneurship? Probably since I was you know four
1: years old, I mean I, I can't remember when I even remembered anything. I think four years old is probably the first time I, I could remember anything. And you know as long as I can remember, you know, I've always been selling stuff. Um, I mean, there's picture. There's a picture on my Facebook that I can send you of, you know, I was outside my my mom's house or it was my parents' house at the time, um, and I had this little stand set up, and it was like, yo- it's a yogurt five cents, and I was I had yogurt and iced tea and like some other stuff that was just random that was in my house. So I was like on the phone. I don't even know who who I was on the phone with, but you know, it was just selling stuff to my neighbors after my mom would come home with with groceries, and you know that evolved to you know shoveling people's um, driveways. And, and you know, I even remember, you know, I, I would take the tissues in the house and package them up into like little, you know, to-go tissue pouches and try to sell them to my family when they would come over. Uh, you know, I had baseball cards, buying and selling and trading them. So I, I've always been kind of like this entrepreneurial person. And especially like when I was playing video games, for example, you know, like computer games, I was always into like lemonade tycoon and like other games that you that you like build businesses and make money and stuff and yeah, I don't, it's necessarily because I love money, but I just like I genuinely love business. Like I can just talk to people about it for hours and hours and hours. And I was always the type of person that I would go to like my my friends' houses and I'd be more interested in talking to their parents than I would be hanging out with my buddies who were playing like Madden or or something like that. Because I just always found you know, I've always kind of I like grew up really quickly, and so I, I've always been into it. But there was like times, you know, in in middle school. I mean, not middle school, high school, and in college, though, where I got more interested in finance. And I'm still I'm still really interested in finance, and it's good to have that background. But um, you know, so I've gone into ebbs and flows, but I've always been entrepreneurial.
0: It's funny that you you mentioned that you were selling stuff since you were four with the whole yogurt stand and that because. I remember going out and blowing up water, like water balloons, with my mouth and selling them on the curb, like outside, on like the main road by my house. And there's a picture of it when you when you said picture. I thought about this because I was talking about it with my mom the other day, and I was just like, "Who would buy a blown up water balloon with their mouth from like a little kid?" It just it just made me think of that.
1: Yeah, but I mean the the theme is that you just try stuff and you see how it goes You know, you just you just not kind of you know very, a lot of people are like reserved in, in the sense that they won't do something because they're always thinking about like what could go wrong and I Think just being entrepreneurial the the core tenant of it is just doing things and, and Reacting after it happens versus like overthinking it, you know mm-hmm.
0: So you went to William and Mary you studied for two years and then you you dropped out. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've no, I've never really been into school that much. I mean, I've always felt that school never really aligned or mapped to, you know, what what I wanted to do ultimately, whether it was in finance or entrepreneurship or whatever. You know, school always felt kind of unnecessary. So even you know, even in middle school, writing essays and. I was never, I always had good grades, but I was never the type of person to take it really seriously or, you know, spend a lot of time doing homework or, you know, take a test very seriously. I'd just show up, kind of take it and, and get good grades and move on or, you know, write, you know, kind of BS my way through essays and stuff. Like, because I just didn't think it was worth the time, you know, to invest in, you know, even at that time in middle school and high school, it, it just didn't feel like worth the time to, you know, spend on it when I really was interested in other stuff. Like I'd rather watch you know, shark tank and ask, you know, ask questions to my mom's boyfriend or my dad about their businesses. And, you know, I I used to if you look at my attendance record in high school at at SJV, I probably took off 25 to 30 days a year easily because I was I would go on trips with my dad to, you know, San Francisco with the Giants. And I I just thought that was more valuable to like be around businesses and people and adults and, and experience life versus kind of being in school and even like some small examples of that was like, you know, you know, I, I didn't take a lab science in high school. I knew that I, I knew that I didn't care about, you know, chemistry or physics and, and, and stuff like that. I was more focused on, you know, business and, and that direction. And, and I, I get that you can learn kind of things cross functionally through all different types of you know, disciplines, but I knew that I didn't want to take lab scientists cause I just knew that they were you know, very difficult and they took a lot of your time and attention and And I knew that a lot of kids were taking them just because they were prerequisites to get into schools. Um, but for me, I was like, I just I just don't want to take. And if I don't get into you know University of North Carolina because I didn't take chemistry, then you know that's not really the right school for me because that's not what I want to do anyway. Same thing with um, you know languages and stuff. Like I, I kind of got screwed in college because I didn't take um, I, I didn't take a, a language in high school. I took Latin and then they they cut out the Latin program. So I had to take, you know, four years of Spanish at school. And I just, that really like frustrated me because, you know, that's, it's a lot of effort to, to learn a language and, and it's, you know, you had to take, it was like two semesters a year. It was like the entire year for like all like three or four years It was a lot of, you know, you were taking a lot of your credits towards, towards a language and it just didn't feel right when you're the one spending the money to get the education I want to learn. Business and, and you know things you know of that nature and finance like why am I spending so much time in in um, Spanish and stuff so there was just a lot of stuff like that I went into school not really loving the idea of it but and and school always felt kind of like unessential but at the same time I really wanted the experience of going to a university and especially getting out of like New Jersey and 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 my hometown and and getting going to Virginia and just being around new people being on my own, you know, play some golf down there. It's, obviously it's like a luxury type thing to have. And I think, you know, it probably doesn't make sense from an investment standpoint for most people, but if you, if you can, and you can give your kids like that opportunity, I think it's really, it, you really grow as a person by being away at a university. So, you know, the two years I was there or two and a half years. Like I would do it again, a hundred percent every single time. Um, but I think I left at just the right time. Like I, I knew that I got everything I kind of wanted to out of it. Um, and, and the real, the real kind of Kickstarter of of why I ended up leaving was, you know, a buddy of mine from high school reached out and, and wanted to start an app with me. He's like, Hey, I have this idea, you know, it's this app called, you know, we want to do a social network on campus to get other people that are involved in similar activities to meet up with each other and make it really easy to facilitate, you know, you know, people that have the same interest to meeting up on, on campus. And it's like a, an app that's been tried a lot of times and, you know, ultimately we didn't really you know we put a lot of effort behind building it but we're using like offshore developers and stuff and we didn't really know what we we're doing but it was more just getting back into the swing of entrepreneurship like I had a big period where I was just really focused on finance and investing and wealth management I worked at a hedge fund you know you know for an internship and stuff and but but the app kind of got me back into the the groove of like oh actually you're an entrepreneur and actually you do things differently and you know, why are you spending so much time and effort, you know, looking at, you know, stock reports for Apple and, you know, your your classes and, you know, debt finance or whatever. So just got really interested in, in just building businesses again. And, you know, entrepreneurship is, is really a mindset. It's just like a way of thinking about life. And and once you kind of I like taste it again, it's hard to go back. And, and then I, that's kind of the point I got to. I was like, oh, Wow. I'm really supposed to be, you know, an entrepreneur. Like, well, what am I doing here? And, and then I had an opportunity to leave school and and become business partners with an NFL player randomly, um, Steve Weatherford, and that was kind of like the catalyst that gave me, you know, uh, an opportunity to to leave and get into something right away.
0: So something that you mentioned previously, you were talking about kind of the role of education and how you never really enjoyed school. You were good at it. You couldn't there were certain things that you really weren't interested in and you were just kind of there. And there's, that's a common theme with a lot of people that are going through the education system. So the question I want to ask you is what do you think the future of education is going to look like? Because you kind of made your own curriculum, like you learned and you found different ways to teach yourself about the things that you were interested in. But a lot of people depend on the education system for that structure to give them and tell them what they need to learn. But ultimately they want to learn the things that they want to learn. So what can the future of, what, what do you think the future of education is going to look like?
1: Well, I think first off the, the merits and what you get out of your education and, and degrees, I think you've obviously seen the, you know, deterioration of value of what you end up getting after graduating, you know, whether it's high school or, or college, you know, look at any technology company or any company that's gonna become the big companies of the future, not one of them cares where you went to high school or where you went to college or what you studied. They wanna know, can you do the job we need you to do? Are you a critical thinker? Are you curious? Like those are the the questions and, and the types of analysis that they're doing when you when you come in for an interview. And I think that that kind of shifts a lot of things because people always thought for the longest time that, you know, if I don't have this, I can't do it. You know, so I think first off that the need for for that type of education is is much less. And I think you're seeing a lot of, you know, it starts, it starts in little niches. Like you're seeing a lot of these companies pop up and organizations that are taking the place of higher education, you know, and educating in their own way or towards specialized skill sets. Like for example, Lambda School, you know, big startup out of the West Coast, you know, teaching people how to code and they're literally taking people that might've worked at you know, Walmart or um, just you know got, are in school, but they don't see it going anywhere, and they drop out, and they just join Lambda School, and either they pay a really low fee, or Lambda School covers the costs, and then they just give them a percentage of of their future earnings. But you're seeing people coming out of these programs making a hundred, hundred twenty five thousand one before they were making thirty thousand a year. So I think people are going to find it's it's more about self educating and finding. You know what's the best way for you to get as much you know education as possible for like what you need, um, and just putting you in a position to when you then go into interviews or you want to start something, you just have that knowledge. But you don't, you know. I think the credential has become less and less important. And like I said, I I think that school, organized schooling, um, you know, is good to a degree, and especially going away to college because I think there's a lot of intangibles aside from just the education itself, just from like a life skills perspective and opening up as a person and from a personality standpoint that are really valuable. Um, and if you can do that great, but a lot of people don't have the luxury to just spend three years in, in at Alabama university and spend, you know, 150 grand on it, you know, and and just party the whole time. Um, so there's, you know, there's people need practical ways to to get skills and there's much more efficient ways to do it. I just think, I think you're going to see more, you know, incentivized micro kind of institutions, you know, who are tying their their pay and their results back to the results of like their students. Um, I think you'll see that more. And, and you also have stuff like master class and just the internet is just, you know, proliferating information out to everybody. And you, you don't even need, you know, the structure part is, is interesting. I mean, for people that are really curious and ambitious, they kind of just go out and self-select the information they need to figure out, you know, what they want to achieve. But you know, there, there might be, there could be a business case for just curation, you know, people that just curate all of the information, and the data out there, because there's, you know, Stanford puts out free courses, Y Combinator, you know, there's tons of podcasts. I think you can see, you might see education models that are just people, maybe it's like someone like you that comes and just aggregates all of these different, you know, things out there and data and, you know, content and, you know, structures it into, you know, courses and curriculum in a way that's, you know, you can stay on some sort of path. So, um, you know, I don't know, I think you're going to see a lot of different types of models kind of evolve. But, you know, I think people, you know, besides the, the lawyers and doctors and all that, you know, people are going to kind of decide how they want to learn on their own to, to get the skills that they need for, you know, the specific task. I think, you know, a lot of a lot of really smart people read a lot, but they read what they need in the moment. They don't read uh, 100,000 different books in preparation of maybe needing it one time. You know, if you ask um Tim Ferriss, like his big thing is like I like to read, you know, things that are relevant to what I'm doing right now. And I think that there's a lot of that too. Like, you know, traditional education, you're just constantly learning, but it's not necessarily applicable right now or might never be applicable, you know? So, I think just getting more efficient in general.
0: Yeah, I really like what you said about like aggregation and kind of this an industry that can emerge around the the concept of these aggregators because the information is there. People are putting out podcasts, they're creating courses, they're creating videos. The issue is that a lot of this information isn't searchable. It's not, you can't just say, you know, Hey Mike, you know, what, what is your opinion on this? Or like, I would have to go through your entire LinkedIn page or go through your, an entire archive of everything it, that that's a you've produced, point
1: there's Exactly.
0: So and it's, I mean, it's interesting. And so I guess something that I wanted to go back on is we were talking about the college experience. And I think that it's, it's super valuable. You know, you go, you go away, 18 year olds go away. They learn how to live on their own. They're socializing. They're trying a bunch of different things. If there's a, a change from traditional college experience to a Lambda school or a system where students are incentivized in a way to get an education and there's some sort of like give and take with whatever institution is providing this information. How do you foster a, a college experience that you experience and I experience and all other students experience when they when they think back to when they were in school?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's the same problems you have around building culture at companies that are fully remote. You know there's a lot of companies that are going remote right now and and they struggle with the same thing how do i build camaraderie amongst the team how do we make them feel part of a culture and you know you a lot of these companies that are fully remote are doing you know retreats annually or biannually and constantly encouraging people to meet up with each other and and stuff like that so i think even for a lambda school like they they do it themselves where there's retreats and there's also on deck, which is actually one of our clients, um, you know, they run a fellowship in San Francisco, and um, you know, they do a big annual retreat where all the fellows come, and there's speakers and everything. So, I think that you still have to find ways to kind of bring people together, no matter what kind of the the medium is. But you know, there's there's going to be intangibles that that aren't going to be able to kind of be filled in through this experience. And I think there's there's always going to be a need for, you know, some sort of you know, university, college experience for those that can afford it. But the big thing is just most people just can't afford it. So either, you know, the price has to come down, you know, because demand comes down or, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't really know what's going to happen to it, but, um, I don't know. There, I, I think even if you ask the biggest kind of, you know, people in education, I just don't, there's so many uncertainties around kind of, you know, what's going to happen to universities and how to kind of, you know, fill in that void that, that you get from that. I don't think so maybe you have a situation where you just build out these villages. Like if you look at say um you know Arizona, um, Scottsdale, for example, they have sections that are just full of college people, like you know, lots of nightclubs, bars, these like affordable modern apartments and stuff. Maybe you build little villages of where like these students go, but they end up they educate themselves in different ways, but they're still there, you know, and they still have housing that's together the same way that Seniors living communities and professionals living communities. Maybe they maybe there's communities that are similar to universities But that's not where the educating happens. It's just a, where they congregate, you know, I, I don't know
0: Yeah, I actually I had that thought as well because I was talking to my parents about this and I was like what if you know how you have these companies like Google that are building cities around for people that are working at their company And it's this entire ecosystem where people are living together. Why couldn't you do that for an education system?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I could definitely see it happening. Uh, And and what we were even talking about, you know, I wrote a a LinkedIn poster. It might have been a tweet. I think it was a tweet the other day about like the concept of corporate clubhouses. I was like, what if we go fully remote and a lot of other companies go fully remote, like I would still like to build out a corporate clubhouse in New York City or L.A. or something where, we share it with like three or four other companies and it's a place that our employees can just always go whenever they want they can bring clients they can have lunch and it's like it's just a space that people can collaborate even though you don't have the office and you know maybe maybe lambda school and these different organizations collaborate with different e-learning platforms or whatever and have these little campuses and corporate kind of clubhouses throughout that that people can meet up at i don't think you have to totally detach like The physical element from it Um, but I think you can do it in a way that's more efficient and like you cross resources together a little bit you know
0: so you kind of touched on this a little bit but something I've been thinking about a lot is the future of office space and how it's going to be used going forward post pandemic whenever this ends how are people going to go back to work and what do you think the role of offices are going to be moving forward for big corporations, small businesses or startups?
1: Yeah, I mean, similar to colleges, I think, you know, physical offices and people being around each other is is really valuable and it's hard to replicate that in, in any environment. I mean, the the pandemic has forced companies to get really agile and nimble and, and react quickly. And I think generally speaking, you know, the results have been really good. You know, I think both for our company, but even a lot of like high technology companies, you know, they fared pretty well. People can deal with it. But I think it's time will tell is like, can you do this in a sustained fashion for a long time? You know, this whole remote culture, getting on lots of Zoom calls. It's kind of like um, tiring, you know, keeping culture and maintaining communication with everybody in a remote environment. It's, it's really tiring to, to stay disciplined with it. Um, and, and it's fun. You can, you could say it's kind of nice and fun to be able to have flexibility and work from home for two weeks, four weeks, eight weeks. But what about six months from now, 12 months from now, and you still haven't really engaged with people? Like, I don't know if, if it's sustainable to a degree. Um, I mean, we've, we have a warehouse component to our business, so we're always going to have to have a physical space just because of the, the nature of our business. But from a corporate standpoint, like salespeople, marketing, you know, operations type people on our team. Like we, we're considering not getting an office. Uh, you know, when we move out of this office, that's both dual office and warehouse. We're considering just getting a warehouse and not getting an office anymore. But I don't know. Like I said, I think the corporate clubhouse idea, you know, makes a lot of sense because there's, there's obviously going to be less of a need for you don't need to have a million square feet of office space if you're google in new york city like there's just no reason you know you've even seen twitter and some other companies just saying just you don't have to ever come back to our office you know ever again and they spend so much money on it i went to the facebook campus recently and they have you know it's like an amusement park they have an ice cream store they have you know food they have all this stuff just to keep people appeased and entertained but a lot of people are fine you know perfectly fine without all that if they have the flexibility to travel and and work from home and all this kind of stuff so I think I think there's a lot of over kind of dramatizing of like a lot of trends that are happening now where people think that they're going to be permanent um, and you know just every little thing that's happening they think like the world's going to change but I think we've seen you know even just look at you know Twitter and stuff people are going back to their normal kind of habits as quickly as they possibly can because that's what they want to do um. So I don't think that I don't think there's going to be a lot of like major structural change into how people operate every day. But I do think that there was already this underlying trend of you know moving towards remote and the technology is finally starting to catch up to where it can be something that's actually doable in terms of like all these startups that have come out recently to build out, you know, operating systems for remote companies and companies like Rippling that make it really easy to onboard employees no matter where they are. Um, so I think we probably weren't ready from like a technological standpoint before to you know, manage big remote teams. But I think I think it's there now. And I mean, if I, I wasn't thinking about it a year ago, but if we're thinking about it, I would imagine that that a lot of people are thinking about it. So, you know, I think, you know, I think you'll see kind of the works and breathers actually become more valuable, you know, as, as we move along. But maybe the model adapts a little bit. Um, so we'll have to see.
0: So you touched on this a little bit and one of the biggest struggles for companies right now is maintaining that culture and that socialization and collaboration. What have you done at SwagUp to kind of keep that culture intact while people are are at home?
1: Yeah, I think first off is like just transparency all around. I think it's easy to not, especially in a situation where there's so much uncertainty, it's really easy to not share information um, and I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of misconceptions around like what culture actually means. You know, a lot of people think of culture and they think of, you know, slides in the office at Google and, you know, food and, you know, retreats and parties. And, you know, I get to have unlimited vacation. Like those are just like benefits of, you know, working for a company and they're fun things to tell people. But what in a high performance organization, what matters you know to the company's culture is like, how transparent are you about information? How meritocratic is the organization? Do you reward people that do great work? Do you, you know, punish or get rid of people that don't do good work? Like people want to work with people that are, you know, really talented, and they want to be rewarded for doing great work. And they want to work on things that are really interesting, you know, and valuable. And I think that, you know, we, you know, there's small things like just getting, you know, we brought in, um, you know, we did like some trivia stuff over Zoom and just keeping people excited and sending them out, you know, sweatpants and like little care packages. And we've been working with a lot of our clients sending care packages out to people, just you know, these touch points that keep people engaged and excited. But I think, you know, the bigger overarching things is like, are you working on something valuable for people right now? Like we know that we're helping a lot of companies out there items into the hands of their customers or their employees or whatever it might be and keeping them excited keeping the relationship going so we're doing valuable work that's interesting and i think that is really good for culture and being very transparent with people you know every monday we have a company-wide meeting this week will be tuesday that you know we go over the financials what we're you know who who we might hire you know any gaps in the in the company we go over like our operating plan and i think you just have to over communicate with people Right now, in, in order to kind of maintain that culture. But if you're if you're going to be in a fully remote environment, though, I think you need to bring people together physically at you know one or two or three times a year. Especially from like a sales team standpoint, you know I think it's you know sales sales teams really benefit from like just momentum and energy, uh, and it's hard to replicate that all in a, in a fully remote environment. And, and we just brought on a director of sales um, who's going to lead the team, but he's starting off in a, in a position where he can't be with the team. And it's going to be really interesting to see how that kind of dynamic plays out.
0: So this is kind of some definitely something that you've kind of struggled with, but what about, what advice would you give to somebody who's just starting a job at a new company and may not have that opportunity to, immerse themselves in the company's culture and meet people and go to happy hours and kind of socialize in the way and embed themselves in the company and in the way that they thought they might have been able to. What advice would you give to someone who's starting a job and or joining something new to kind of gain some exposure and, you know, just familiarize themselves with the, the new environment, especially with everything that's going on right now?
1: Like, like meaning like right now like how can they how can they do that right now given everything that's going on
0: well right now or or if things are back to normal i think it's something that i think
1: first off anybody that has that gets any job about a school right now is extremely lucky you know so they should just kind of you know be fortunate do the job and then when things kind of settle down you can figure out how to get really creative but i think first off just general advice to anybody going into any job is like just be as valuable as you can to the, to people that matter at that company right away. You know, there's always room in companies for people to move up who are problem solvers, you know, and who are who are curious. You know, I like that the name of the podcast is Gritty and Curious because that's like the biggest thing I always look for when when we're hiring people. And and you know what I ask them is like, did you have you ever started something on the side? Like, you know, what are you really interested in that you delve deeper into? Like, I think that curiosity is like the underlying thing that, you know, pushes people forward, you know, that gets them to do anything remarkable. So I think you, you just have to really show, you know, you, you'll get given opportunities, you know, based on earning them, you know, like you'll get more, you'll be given access to information. You'll be given projects to work on if you show that you're there and you're going to put in the effort and you're curious and, and, you know, getting in touch, like get in touch with people that you admire at the company that are, that are ahead of you, you know, like, you know, older people people in management positions and ask them a lot of questions like people like to be able to share their knowledge with other people you know and they like to feel helpful like i you know whether it's you or i get every single every week on linkedin i get a ton of linkedin and twitter getting tons of messages and and stuff like i have a call on tuesday with this guy from london who's been just following our journey for the longest time and whether he was you know a, a third-party random person he worked at the company we have a thousand employees like like take shots and just reach out to people that you admire within the company or at other companies and and Show them either that you can help them in some way or just be genuinely curious and thankful that they're that they're there um, But you know and and like I said people for people that solve problems There's always opportunities, you know, whether it whether it's your job title or not then you have to just forget your job title especially, you know, especially just from career standpoint like don't worry about you know the, the title that you get or you know, it's, it's more about the people that you can work for and the company you can work for, like get your foot in the door with, you know, the right management or the right team or the right company. And then if you just pr- show that you're valuable, you will be able to get the position that you want at some point, you know, um, and I've seen that play out so many times where people come, even even at our own company, where they start at the bottom, and but they they have this ultimate goal, but they know it takes time. But especially in startup environments. The time you, that it's going to take to get to where you want to be is actually a lot shorter than you might think. Like, if you go into a big structured, like, you know, PWC type environment, it's going to be difficult to break through. So, I think you also have to set yourself up for success. And try, you know, if you're somebody who's ambitious, go into an organization that's going to reward your ambition quickly, um, or else you're setting yourself up to fail. But, you know, I, I would definitely. Reach out to the top people and and show them that you're there to help and show them that you're genuinely curious and, and appreciate what what input they can have um, and and just, you know, connect with with more people on the team and just you know say, hey, can we talk for 15, 20 minutes? I I'd love to learn from you. People, like I said, people love to share their knowledge.
0: So what about students who don't have jobs or coming out of school? And this is a majority of college students right now. A lot of my friends are in this position and. A lot of people have lost their jobs or lost their internships as a result of everything that's going on. What advice would you give to these people who they're trying to avoid having a gap in their resume? They want to find some sort of experience. What would you tell these types of people?
1: Yeah, I think there's two things. I think first off, don't worry about the gap. I mean, people understand what's going on. You know, even, um, you know, even if you look at VCs looking at startups during this time, like, if your growth rate isn't the same as what you projected last year, or, you know, people understand what's going on. There's a lot of ambiguities um, and you're you're not going to get docked just because you didn't get a job right at college. There's 36 million people that don't have jobs, you know, and, and the people that are underemployed too, if you include that, it's like 50 to 60 million, which is like a fourth of the entire workforce, you know? So nobody's going to, you know, discredit you because you weren't able to get a job out of college. But for people that are in that position, I would say you do one of two things. One is you start something on your own, whether whether you do it to make a lot of money or not. Like you have to keep the momentum going. You can't just sit around waiting for somebody to give you an opportunity. It, you know, like you, you started this podcast. Like you, constantly learn. If you don't feel like you got exactly the education you needed out of school, then then start learning on your own. Like you know, listen to more podcasts. Go to you know Y Combinator Startup School listen to Paul Graham's essays, whatever it might be, wherever you want to learn, learn it now and take advantage of this time that you have to, you know, that you have time to do it. Um, Or you join a company for free, literally. You know, if you think that they're really interesting and they're doing well, um, and maybe they're not hiring right now, but you really like what they're doing, tell them you'll work for free. Like Like I said, especially in startup environments, if you prove that you're somebody that's valuable, you're going to move up really quickly you know within within a month or two they're going to be like wow this person is like really valuable to the company like we can't afford to let them go but the hardest the hardest thing is just getting in the door it's just getting people to say yes and just getting you know getting started and we take this principle like with our customers it's like we try to eliminate as much friction as possible to get companies to want to work with us cuz once they work with us then we have the relationship we can do a million things with that you know it's just getting them to say that initial yes So if I'm looking for a job, how do I cut down all the friction to getting them to say the initial yes, you know, and and the easiest way I can think of right off the bat is say, hey, you know, I'll, I'll work for you guys for free. I love this company. I'm not concerned about where it goes, like especially a lot of people in college, you know, obviously not everybody can do this, but there's a lot of people in college that are still living at home like they have the flexibility to do it, especially in a remote environment where they don't have to pay for like a commute or anything. Just be like, hey, I'd love to join this company. I'm not going to be a pain in the ass. I'm, I'm a self-starter. I love to learn. I'm here to help you guys however you need. Um, and, and if, you, if you're if you confident in your own abilities, they're going to see that and they're going to see that you're valuable and they're going to give you an offer uh, when the time is right. So that that's what I would do if I was in that position right now.
0: Yeah, it's been tough. And a lot of my friends have, they've been struggling right now and that's kind of the advice that they need. And it's, it's hard to it's hard to do that. Like people don't want to work for free, but it's, it's definitely something that you show that you're valuable, make them, you know, work so hard and create so much value that they literally can't not bring you on. Exactly. And eventually, eventually this thing's going to end.
1: A hundred percent. I mean, this is, and I'm not just saying this on like a pedestal talking down to people. Oh, like go work for free. Like this is the same. This is what I did, you know, with, with Steve Weatherford leaving school I didn't have any sort of salary or, or arrangement in place that was like, I'm going to get paid something or even get a percentage of what we generate or or anything like that. I just said, this is interesting. You know, He he trusts me to help him. Let me just do this. And I went for six straight months helping him, living in his house, doing all this stuff, doing all this content. Not once did I ever care about the money or ask him a question about it because I knew that what we were doing was really valuable, and, and what I was doing was really valuable to what we were trying to achieve. And I knew that we'd figure out it, uh, figure it out eventually. And eventually, he offered me a percentage of the business, like the entire company. Um, and you know, I could have taken a salary if I wanted, but you know, and it, look at Drock. You know, for, he's a friend of mine and a friend of Helen's who's here. Um, you know, Gary V's you know videographer. That's one of his biggest pieces of advice to any creative person trying to get started is. Just go out and do shit for free for people, you know, because the those opportunities will turn into, you know, paid opportunities or jobs or op- you know just more opportunity a lot quicker than you think. But the hardest thing is to get people to, you know, that that initial friction of giving you money or giving you the position because people are busy and they don't they don't want to do it. It's a commitment, you know. But if you start to show your value, even even literally in a week or two, people will understand. Like, wow, this person's really valuable. Like. We can't afford to, to lose this person. So, um, you know, especially right now, I would I would do a lot of stuff like that for free. What, especially like say someone like you say, you know, say you might have a job, but like say somebody similar to you that does not and you have your own podcast. Go to go to some influencer and be like, hey, I'll edit your podcast for free or, or whatever it might be. And you will just get into their ecosystem and then ask them questions. And, it, you know, those types of things materialize a lot quicker than people think.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of like what one of my strategies, because I want to know how these people gain such an influence because it's not just about like posting pictures and it just you're actually creating a community of people that look up to you. And it's interesting to see how people build that platform. You
1: know? Yeah. I mean, the the greatest way to build any platform is to provide more value than you ask for in return, you know, just being incredibly valuable to people. In a way that is is worth more than what they're paying for. If, obviously, if they're not paying anything, that's great. But um, you know, if you look at the best social media influencers, especially like fitness influencers, like I have a lot of experience with <coughs> fitness influencers, and my buddy manages some some big time fitness influencers. The ones that have done really well over the last few years are the ones that just pump out valuable content every single day, all day long, of workouts and recipes and lifestyle habits and tips and and the ones that do aren't doing that well are the ones that just post pictures here and there and they they're not consistent about like posting their workouts and providing value like you have to just constantly provide a lot of value to people in a way that they can't ignore you know and if you do that long enough um you build a you build a really big following it's it's tough though The getting getting off the ground is the hardest part getting the initial traction because once you have the initial traction then it's just momentum builds it but that's why you have to do those types of things in the beginning that are like work for free and those types of like high leverage opportunities that that they feel kind of maybe they feel degrading or they don't feel worth the time but you have to realize and everybody especially coming out of college has to realize like nobody owes you anything you know you don't you're not owed a job just cuz you went to college you're not owed somebody to get back to your email you know like there's i think a lot of people came out of this last like 10 years with a lot of entitlement, you know? And I think that this this pandemic to a degree has been really helpful because it, it kind of centers people back down to earth a bit. You know, I, I'll even, you know, even employees that we've had on our team, you know, the, just the balance of power felt very, very much in the hands of employees for a long time, you know, for the last 10 years. And like, if they're uncomfortable with the situation, or like, we even had situations there people complain that the, they don't like the snacks that we have in the office. It's like, Like there's like stuff like that. It's just like drives you crazy. And I think that this pandemic really centers people back down to earth to really understand like what's valuable and and that things aren't just handed to you all the time, you know?
0: So two very important questions. Who are your favorite fitness influencers and what, what snacks are people complaining about? (laughs) Well, the
1: the one fitness influencer that I really like identified really early that I knew was going to do really well and she has done really well is Alexia Clark. Um, she's got these crazy, crazy workouts that she does. Like, I don't know how how she thinks that normal people can do them, but you know, she has this app and you can either do the 20 to 30 minute ones or the 50 to 60 minute ones. And she says they're 50 to 60 minutes, but they're really like an hour and 40 minutes because like you just have to take breaks in between. She doesn't take breaks, but they're, they're insane. But she always was just pumping out like three, four videos a day of like really interesting, unique, you know, exercises and like compound movements and stuff. Um, and, and I just knew that she would do really well and she has, um, and then besides her there's, I can't remember his name. This guy's from like, uh, Oregon. He's, he's got the craziest, uh, quads I've ever seen. It's like out of control. Um, uh, I haven't been on Instagram. I, I deleted Instagram for like a year and then finally got it back. So, so I don't really know, but, um, I don't know. I like people that are real that just, that, post real valuable like lifestyle stuff not just like pictures of themselves you know shirtless in front of a mirror or something like that that doesn't really help anyone um and then in terms of the snacks i don't know like we we always have goldfish we have like kind bars we have uh we get food we have catering on tuesdays and fridays but you would even have situations where people don't like complain about the catering because you know you, you never please everybody you know we have there's certain types of chips it's like oh do you have well you don't have milk for our coffee it's like I don't know. You, you, you can never win in these situations, you know.
0: Fortunately, I've had some some pretty good experience with with coffee and and snacks with the, the companies I've interned for so far. Oh, yeah. But, <laughs> but I don't even I drink of, coffee. I don't, I don't know anything about coffee. I don't drink coffee. I've never had a cup of coffee before.
1: I oh, drink uh, matcha green tea. I'll have that uh, every now and again. I have some pre-workout. If I work out, we have an off uh, a gym in the office here. That, I, that i'll use
0: um but yeah i've never had coffee matcha is very very tim Ferriss of you
1: yeah i've i mean i've liked it i've had a buddy a buddy out in san diego that that started a matcha business like five years ago so i've been drinking it he, he would send it to me back then so i've been drinking it since then like i when i first got to college i would have it you know sent to me and stuff so um yeah I, i've always liked it
0: well what's his what's his name
1: his name's sean I can't remember. It's bonnets, B-O-N-A-T-Z. It's a entire tea out of San Diego. They're okay, these okay. little packets, like individual use packets. You can just throw in water bottles, and you shake them up, and they blend like so well. It's not there's not like clumpiness or anything, and it's it's really good.
0: Yeah, we, it's have, like, been... we have
1: like forty boxes at the office downstairs.
0: Right, really? that's always been something I wanted to try because one of my good friends from high school was really is really into tea. Like he posted about like National Tea Day like last week. No, and I'm not, I'm not that, a, he's he's like a big matcha guy.
1: Yeah, matcha's is good. I, I get the one at Starbucks. It's it's expensive though, but I'll get the one at Starbucks once in a while.
0: So something you mentioned before, we were talking about content. I really like your content, especially stuff that you put on LinkedIn. I haven't checked out your Twitter yet. Didn't even know you're on Twitter. But I love Twitter, dude. I just I just got into Twitter. I was never a Twitter guy. But it's like the craziest community of like people. Like you learn so much cool shit on there.
1: There's no, there's no other platform that you get such direct access to the smartest people in the world. You know, and Twitter, Twitter's all about how you curate your, you know, follower following list. You know, like it can be really noisy and really, you know, socially and just like stupid. Like I, in in high school, I made a very deliberate move to eliminate all my friends off of Twitter. I deleted every single. <laughs> I friend recently did platform. that. Yeah, because nobody everybody tweets about bullshit stuff about like Game of Thrones and Netflix. And like I, I knew that Netflix, uh, that Twitter would be a really valuable like source of information and news. And I knew that if I had all my friends in there, it was just going to make it really cloudy. And I was like, OK, I need to dedicate this channel just to valuable information, you know. So I, I got rid of all my friends off Twitter. I found lots of VCs, a lot of just like great thinkers, um, a couple news sources, but not much. Um, like more just like pure data, uh, lots of startup founders. I I've met so many people off of Twitter, like in real life, you know, lots of different connections, customers. Um, I, you know, I think Twitter probably shapes a lot of my just outlook on, on life and what's going on more than any other singular kind of thing.
0: Who are some of your, your favorite people to follow on Twitter?
1: Uh, I like the guy Naval Ravikant. I think he's really, uh, he's, yes. he's smart
0: um you recently liked one of my tweets and i was like All right,
1: really? I made it. damn it's <laughs> big um what else i mean there's i mean i like following some of our customers because that's it's, it's always interesting to connect with us them there's this guy rob bailey in, in new york city that's a you know founder who's really connected to a lot of vcs as well and he's he's always been really helpful for me and and he runs like these these um these founder runs where he'll like just help people and they'll go on runs together and just talk for 45 minutes and, and help each other out. I mean, generally speaking, you know, there's so much negativity in the world, but you know, when you really get down to it, especially ambitious, successful people, it's like everybody wants to help each other. You know, you, that's what you find out when you're in these networks and stuff and you talk to people and you, you reach out to them, like they're, they're extremely helpful, especially if you show that you've done the effort and the research and, and you're willing to be like, You know consistent and committed to things everybody wants to help out um i don't know i follow like a thousand people at at this point they're all i don't even know who some of them are like uh, ben thompson's really good the guy that writes Stratchery, i think it's called um that's probably one of the most high quality um you know sources of information around like you know life startups business all that kind of stuff um There's a ton. I don't know if you look at my following list, I'm very deliberate about like who I follow. So anybody on there, I think is really, really interesting. I'll
0: have to check it out. Do you have like a, a specific like content strategy for, for yourself in terms of, okay, I want to put out X amount of posts per week, or I want to talk about this. Like, is there any sort of strategy that you use to stay engaged?
1: If you Helen, who's our CMO here, she got really she started to get really into LinkedIn, and she's being very consistent about it. Where every morning she has another post coming out. Um, she's delivered in terms of you know frequency, but then also the type of content is very real, like not just like business advice, but like personal, like how she's navigating corporate culture. So she's a lot more structured than I am. I, I mean, first off, I'm not a very organized, structured person in general. You know, so just the idea of like having a content strategy is kind of difficult for me or or even for me to just maintain. Um, But I'm more of like a feel type person. Like I just if I don't think it's going to be valuable for people and I I don't like I'm not I wouldn't be proud of it, then I'm not going to write it. Like I don't like to force content out just to stick to a schedule, even though I realize how important it is to be consistent. But being consistently bad is is still bad, you know, so I, I you know, if I'm not going to be able to be consistent with it, I, I rather just only write if I think it's very valuable. And and that's what I do. I mean, it, I don't write much on LinkedIn or Twitter, but every time I do, it gets a ton of engagement. You know, like even, you know, last week I posted about my mom uh, and when I dropped out of school and stuff and it got like 16,000 views and every post I write gets between like 5,000 and 20,000 um, views on it. And it, I think it's because, you know, it resonates with people. It's it's real um, and it's actionable and, and valuable. I, I, just, I don't like people that just like kind of pontificate about like things that are not really grasped. You know, you can't really touch them and, and use them and or that they just talk about how great they are. Um, I think, and I, I like to take a perspective that's like different than most people. I think a lot of people in like the startup world, kind of say the same thing over and over again in different ways. Um, And I try to, if I'm going to write something, I try to make it where it's not what they've heard, you know, a million times from other people that, that all kind of just regurgitate the same content. You know, I think that one thing, one negative downside to like the content on LinkedIn and Twitter is that it just feels like regurgitations of the same stuff kind of over and over again.
0: So what platform do you think is the most valuable for, kind of sharing your message and getting your sharing your perspective and getting yourself out there.
1: I think LinkedIn 100%. Even though I love Twitter, Twitter really if you're starting out is more of a a great place to, you know, consume content and and also to engage on a one-to-one level. Like if you really want to talk to this person, it's it's good for that. But in terms of you getting recognized and seen, you know, LinkedIn, because of the way that their algorithms work and how they share content, it's just so much better. You know, if I can write something on Twitter and write the same thing on LinkedIn, and it'll get seen by a 100 times more people on LinkedIn. So I think it's just naturally speaking, you know, LinkedIn has more reach for for you, uh, especially if you're going to put out like video and stuff um, that's different than what most people are doing. Um, I just think there's more opportunity. There's less it's less noisy, there's less people posting content. I mean, it's starting to get more and more noisy, but I've seen so many situations of people that started posting three to six months ago and all of a sudden they're now like, you know, many celebrities within LinkedIn. You know, people that are like VPs of sales, like that guy Colin Cadmus, he was the VP of sales at um, Aircall. Guy started like six months ago posting, all of a sudden he's like the Oracle of sales, you know? (laughs) So I think, I think that that's probably, you know, the best way to, to get some traction quickly um, is through LinkedIn. And they're, and they're really evolving kind of the platform to make it more content and creator friendly. They just started to like launch polls and live streams and, and all different stuff like that. So, uh, and, I, and I think to that point, Focus is really important too. like focusing on a single channel and making sure it's really impactful is much better than being on every channel Like, you know for us with swag up, you know, we didn't have we didn't tweet one thing for you know The first two years we didn't post anything on Instagram. We still don't even post anything on Instagram We barely did anything on LinkedIn for two years because we you have to focus on you know what is the one channel that's gonna drive the most growth you know and just double down triple down quadruple down on that and forget everything else because you can't do everything well you know you can't just say well i have to have a presence on instagram because you have to have it it's like no if that's going to take you away from r- investing more time in the content itself and on linkedin that's actually working then just do linkedin like it, nobody's going to fault you for not having a presence you know everywhere because you're going to spread yourself thin and and be doing a little bit of everything and not you know the only thing that really matters you know
0: so when you were working with Steve Weatherford, you were helping him out with content, right?
1: Yeah, I mean a lot of stuff. That was initially the initial, you know, idea was, you know, he's coming out of the NFL, he's retiring, but he was known, you know, as being this anomaly. He was a, a punter that was really physically fit. So, you know, that's something that you can really play off of and build a personality around. So, the first 6 months is really just like, how do we make people really understand that okay, post nfl steve weatherford is a fitness influencer is a fitness personality and we're going to build kind of this you know character around him so so that's what we're doing a lot of content a lot of snapchat you know youtube videos and then the next you know iteration of that and, and it was all just again back to the point of providing is a ton of value up front we did probably over six months of just tons of content tons of programs tons of workouts you know all of this valuable insight for people without ever asking them for anything you know and that's how you build an audience like steve had an audience coming out of the nfl but he had a much bigger audience after you know the first six months of uh, working together is because we just kept providing value to people um, with no ask in return and then when you then ask them for something it's just a natural thing to be like oh well we came out with this fitness program or we came out with these supplements or this line of juices like it's natural to then ask people or you don't even you're not even asking for money it's just like you've launched it and they want it because they already are they're in love with what you've done up to this point, you've built that equity in the relationship. So, you know, the first six months was just a lot of content building the audience. Um, and then after that, it was starting to launch some, some products before ultimately stopped working together.
0: So from going to William & Mary, building an app, working with Steve Weatherford, starting SwagUp, what has been your biggest failure and how has it helped you moving forward?
1: Uh, I think, first off, people, like, get so hung up on failures because, like, every day, and I was telling this to somebody yesterday, actually, like, you fail every single day. Like, I've, every week, every month, we, we, we fail at Swag up, but we continue to succeed because you just look, you know, you just look past the failures. Like, you, the more you focus on something, the bigger it becomes. The more you focus on your failures, the more you focus on why you can't do it the bigger of an obstacle it becomes. So I think that one of the biggest, you know, ways of getting over failure is just like literally not even caring when it happens. Like you have to, honestly, you have to optimize for failure, you know, and people say it so many times, but you know, it's, and I wrote a LinkedIn post about it. Like so many people spend so much time in like the planning and strategizing and you know, how do I come up with all the ways to not make this fail? And then I finally launch it, you know, versus like, just do everything, put everything out there. You know, a hundred out of the 120 are probably going to fail, but you'll get the 20 and you'll move on quickly. Like it's all about speed and rapid iteration, you know, in, 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 in terms of like being practical, it's about being quick, but um, in terms of failures, I don't know. I mean, I, I've, I've had so many businesses at this point. I had a, you know, we had a business that we were selling um, those like hoverboards. We had a business that we were selling. Snapchat filters to businesses like hotels and restaurants to promote their company. Um, I don't know. I've had so many failures. Even even swag up before this, it was called startup swag, and I would. I had other friends involved, and I had to like break it off from them. Like I don't know. There's every day there. There's another failure, but I think the biggest the biggest thing is just like, just get over it. You know, like everybody spends too much time thinking about their failures. You know, and. It's it's how quickly can you, kind of, you know, it's really it's really just about maintaining an optimistic attitude. I think if you can maintain optimism for as long as possible, that's like, you know, 80% of the way way there to doing anything valuable. Like I, you know, Wade, who's a a mentor of mine, um, who who's part of the company, we brought him in now as basically like an interim kind of VP of sales. But he's really, you know, he's like 45 year old guy. He's been VP of sales at a bunch of companies. Now he's the president of his own startup um, he, you know, his, the thing he tells me all the time, he's like, I'm never, I'm, I'm always astonished by your level of ambition. Like, cause I'm always just, I just think that anything is possible. You know, no matter what it was, we were talking about potentially buying a golf course in, in Alabama. And I was like, Oh, and it's by mobile. And I'm like, Oh, Tim Cook is from mobile, Alabama. We could probably get him to do a big outing with all the big CEOs and bring them back to his hometown. And I don't even think that's like a big deal. And he's just like, no, we can't do that. And I'm just like, I just think anything's possible because I know that it's possible because I've seen it done so many times. So anyway, in a roundabout way of answering your question, I mean, I fail so many times that I, I don't really know what to, you know, what to even bring up. I mean, I was there were times where I wanted to go to UNC. That was my dream school. I didn't get in, you know, you could say it's a failure, but I don't, I don't really think it's a failure. I mean, ultimately I just went somewhere else and, and you just keep pushing forward. So I don't think it makes sense to really get too kind of caught up in in your failures, because honestly, if you're not failing, then you're you're not doing it the right way, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's it's but it's so easy to get get caught up in something like that. And people get so fixated on the things that aren't working out. And I love what you said about moving fast, like thinking fast and slow. I just I just bought that book by yeah. Have you read that yet? Daniel Kahneman. Or, yeah,
1: I, I've read I've read some of it. I haven't finished it though. Yeah, I think somebody stole it from me. We have a library. All my books that I've ever bought, I brought to the office and built out some different libraries, and they all get taken at some point. So I don't even know where it is anymore.
0: What books have been the most impactful? And and what book are you reading right now?
1: Well, my favorite book of. All time, I love anything around psychology and marketing and and branding stuff like that are, are my favorite st- uh, types of books. And I always go back to the Purple Cow by Seth. I Golden. love Seth Godin. Yeah, Seth Godin, the Purple Cow. First off, just Seth Godin in general is just super concise. He writes short books, short blogs that are you know just straight to the point and really valuable. I I hate books that just they take 300 words to say something that could have been like a couple paragraphs. I mean, 300 pages that could have been done in like one chapter. Uh, which is most most business books. Um, but Seth Godin's Purple Cow like really influenced a lot of like how I think and, and how we do, you know, what we do at Swag up because you know, people are always kind of amazed that like, oh, you you barely spent any money on marketing, like you've bootstrapped it all this way, you know, you have all this organic traffic. And it's it's all just a result of building something that people want that's remarkable you know the product itself is the marketing you know you don't need to if you have to slap on a ton of advertising and marketing to something is because you know you're doing something that's commoditized or not that interesting or valuable to people so the purple cow concept is like you know if you see a purple cow that's going to grab your attention right away and you're going to tell somebody you just saw a purple cow and you have to build businesses with that at the foundation versus trying to like layer that on top of something you know like the, the business itself needs to be a purple cow so I really I really like that book. Uh, there's another booking book called Positioning by Al, Re, uh, Al Rees Al and Jack Trout. It's like a classic branding and marketing book around how you position your brand in the market and how how to make it really memorable for people. It's similar similar concept as Purple Cow, but different. It's like how do you how do you grab the mind share of people and, and embed your brand in their mind, you know, around some sort of specific concept. They even go into like positioning an island. They go into the example of Jamaica. Like, how do we position Jamaica to not just be one of all of the other islands? Like how? And and they talked about it using an anchor of Hawaii and being like Jamaica, like the Hawaii that's you know next, you know, that's an hour away from Miami or something. I don't I don't know what they did, but it was basically you know tying something to something you already know about. You know, and there's there's lots of kind of like science around that. There's a book called Influence. That by the Cardini, I think his name is, or something that's very similar.
0: Uh, yeah, you, you, Robert yeah. B. Cedini or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: I'm sure you have it up there. Um, but right, so I have a lot of books like that. There's a book called *Contagious* by Jonah Berger that is uh, around like how do you build virality into things? Like how do you get ideas to spread? Um, that's another. Again, they're all kind of on the same same ilk because at the end of the day, you you need you need to get distribution and growth. Like that's that's really the only thing that, that matters because you can't spend so much time in the theory and, and the building of something. You have to figure out how am I going to get this out to people in a way that, you know, can grow. So so that's what I spent a lot of time reading like earlier on. And now now I have this new collection of books that I'm focusing on around like AI and machine learning and like building platforms because our business and I our business has really evolved where, you know, in the beginning, we were just like selling swag to people. But now it's much more about like our API and building like this underlying infrastructure that companies can tap into whenever they need branded items created and distributed. Um, so I, I'm just trying to learn a lot more about like API centric businesses and how machine learning and automation kind of plays into things and just trying to stay, you know, because I, I understand now how to like build a business and, and get it into people's hands. but now, like, where is business going over the next ten to twenty years? Um, I think understanding that is going to be very really valuable.
0: Well, if you need some help with AI and machine learning stuff, I have some. I have some knowledge. I've taken a few online classes and a few classes at Rutgers too. So you can always always hit me up and pick my brain about that stuff. I'd be yeah, happy to help out
1: too. Because I, I honestly don't. I don't know much about it. But I think that going back to the curiosity point is like you one have to identify like what you don't know be okay with it, and then go do something about it, you know? And I think that a lot of people, you know, they shy away from the fact that they don't know things because it, you know, it doesn't feel good to know that you don't know something, you know? And, you know, especially if you look at, like, people that argue about politics and stuff, they have these hugely inflated opinions about what should happen, but they really don't know that much underlying about, like, what's actually happening in the facts. Because people really run from the facts because it then... You, you realize, oh shit, I don't know this. Like it challenges your beliefs and your assumptions. So I think that the biggest thing, like the biggest thing that's helped me succeed is really understanding how much I don't know and just embracing that and being excited about it and just wanting to to learn as much as possible. Because I hate being in situations and in conversations where I have to rely on somebody else's information and expertise and just kind of take it as fact. Like I hate being in situations where I don't, have an opinion on things or i can't speak to it because i don't know it you know
0: yeah and that's tough especially when there's so many things out there and you you're never going to know everything and it's all about relying on the people around you the
1: more you know the more you don't know you start to uncover all the things that you still don't
0: know you know exactly it's a it kind of gets overwhelming sometimes too yeah,
1: no. There's, there's information overload, and the internet just makes it worse or better. You know, because it's you just never you're never caught up. My I have that app Pocket where you save articles and stuff when you find them.
0: Yeah,
1: I I must have 500 articles that I felt like I was going to read at one point and just haven't. Not not even articles, just anything on the internet. So I don't. Know, it's so hard to to stay on top of these things and and being able to decide what's the most valuable use of time and in the moment is difficult. And I, you know, one thing I I see too in myself is I go through ebbs and flows of like consumption versus like action. Like there's times where like for a month or two I'll just like consume a lot of information. I'm reading a lot, reading books, and then there's like months or two where I just don't read anything and I just I'm doing a lot of stuff. And I think you have to kind of go through those ebbs and flows where you you you, you do things and you consume, and then you do things and you consume. So you don't want to be stuck in either of those things for too long. You know if you're if you're just consuming and not taking action that's not great. And if you're just taking action without like, you know, upping your, your skill sets and and your knowledge and your kind of like what you understand about the world, I think, you know, that's not good either because you have to work smarter too, you know, and be in the right direction. So it's like these ebbs and flows of, of consumption and action. I've always felt that.
0: So you talk about consumption and action and you also discussed information overload and you mentioned before that you did, you deleted Instagram for, for a year. And this is something I, I felt too. I did a social media detox in January where I deleted, or maybe February, I forget when it was, but I deleted everything. And it made me learn a lot about myself and kind of what I was interested in. And I kind of want to hear your take on the role of social media in your life and how people should use it in a way to improve themselves as opposed to getting bogged down in whatever everybody else is doing and kind of succumbing to that information overload.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just don't see a lot of valuable, generally speaking, general uh, value value in Instagram in general. You know, and I still don't. And every every week I determine like if I'm gonna like keep it again or not. Cause I, I always go back to it and I ultimately always feel like it's just a waste of time. there's nothing there on there that's interesting. It's just people showcasing their life. Like, I don't know why I still have it, but I think first off, most people should just get rid of it because all it does is make you feel worse about yourself. Like you wish you were here, this person's doing this and depending on your kind of level of self-esteem, but I don't know. I just don't think it's valuable at all. Um, and then in terms of like, you know, how to, how to maintain and and figure out what's important. I don't know. I think, I, I mean, my, the time I've been spending on my phone has gone up during, you know, this whole virus situation. It used to be like four hours a day, but now I'm getting the The alerts this morning that said it was up to almost six hours now uh it's hard you know especially especially on twitter because twitter is like such a rabbit hole of information because you you read this one post then you go into the comments and somebody comments about this article you read this article and then you realize like shit, i don't know anything about you know nuclear physics and i i want to learn an art i want to read an article about it and then you just keep going through this like web of like information it's really difficult but I think you you always have to kind of step back and think like, you know, is this applicable to, to me in some way, you know, and, and what I'm doing right now? I think it goes back to that whole thing of like, is this information, you know, valuable for me in, in the moment? Because it's it's very easy to just kind of consume so much stuff and it, and it has nothing to do with, with what you're doing. Like people, it's, you have to stay focused, I mean, and, and to which you know, kind of accomplishing what you're trying to accomplish in the moment. and. I don't know. It's it's probably it's one of the hardest things. I think if you look at anybody, you know, ADD. I feel like I've gotten more ADD over time. You know, ever you know, from this. Like I, I, I would consider getting rid of my phone if I could. I mean, I probably should. I don't. I don't know. I, I haven't solved. I haven't solved this problem that you're trying to kind of get out of me. I think we all have this issue.
0: Yeah, I, I recently read a book by Cal Newport who who wrote Deep Work. He wrote a book about. Um, are called Digital Minimalism. And it's all about the correlation between social media usage and anxiety, social disorders, um, depression. And there's a direct correlation between like the amount of people that kill themselves and the amount of time they spend on social media and kind of engaging in content and watching other people live their lives. And it's like, I read that and I was like, all right, dude, I got to delete all of my stuff. Like I'm, I'm off. And yeah,
1: Facebook and Instagram just get rid of it immediately. Like I said, there's no there's no value in it. And then the other networks like LinkedIn and and Twitter, those are ones that you can curate what you're seeing, and you just have to constantly keep it curated and delete people and information that you just don't. That's either draining or you don't find valuable. Like you have to be really you know on top of like what you're consuming because it's very easy to kind of, you know, just subconsciously read these things and they start to you know infiltrate your mind and stuff. Like you have to
0: have to keep it you know curated on the daily yeah stuff but well listen man I think we we covered a lot of stuff and I really appreciate you coming on like I said before they've always been an inspiration for me and I think that by doing this episode I think that you can definitely share your message with other people and it's going to be something that people are really going to like
1: yeah yeah I hope it I mean the the ultimate goal is just people think a little bit differently like break. we used to, me and my buddy at college, you know, I I like to think of him as like the enlightened one. Like he, he started to like understand it. And we would always talk about ourselves as like differently than everyone else. Like as if we were kind of like on top of this, like, you know, I don't know, like if you look at like the hunger games and they have like the little map where they're controlling, (laughs) (laughs)
0: like,
1: I feel like we were like invited into that room and we can see everybody else like in that map and on that playing field. And I think you know, it's just like breaking out of the routine. Like once you can break out of it and and see clearly as what's really happening, like everything kind of changes in your life. And you know, in college and high school, I was very focused on get on a you know singular kind of mission and goal, and I was stuck in the kind of monotony. And then I started to take a step back, take a step back, and you know, I think I just think at a whole different level than I used to um, then. And I think you know that that's my ultimate goal. It's like people to start kind of challenging how they think about things and and also realizing how much control they have and on their own you know a lot of people think that you know they have to rely on other people's acceptance or you know approval or you know being granting them access to something it's like just realize how much power you have in in, on your own to to dictate where you're going to go especially in like this age of like so much information and you know, and and just people, especially, you know, if you do great things, people will see it, you know? Um, So if, if people can kind of get that message, I think it's valuable.
0: This has been the Gritty and Curious podcast. Gritty and Curious is a podcast where we interview the world's smartest creators, self starters and entrepreneurs, so we can give you the inspiration you need to start your next venture. If you enjoyed this episode, you'd be the best if you subscribed, left a rating, and wrote a quick review. By doing these things, you let us know that you're listening, and it inspires us to keep creating. Until next time, thank you so much for listening.